when you say yes to everything, you're kind of also saying no to anything. So it's that prioritization that I think really helps that that work ethic to get to what's most important done. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, thanks for coming on this week's journey of Ultra Habits. We are talking to Tutti Tigerly. What an unbelievably cool name, right? Yeah, so we are talking about the fundamentals of a really, really good work ethic. What defines a good work ethic and how do we get there? If we're already there, how do we maintain it? What's the dynamics of a poor work ethic? I think we can all agree work ethic is something that People talk about all the time, talk about how important it is. And many people talk about it like it's something that's either innate, it's either there or it's not. But at Ultra Habits, like with everything we believe, it's a skill. So we're joined by 2T. 2D is an executive and leadership coach in the San Francisco Bay Area. She has a background in technology in the Silicon Valley. She helps businesses within that sector get on track and scale and grow and evolve. And she helps the leaders within those companies do so too. So it's a really great conversation. Tootie has a lot of energy and she is from my hood, from the Bay Area. So it's always really good to get someone from, uh, you know, my my town on the show. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands. Tootie, enjoy the episode. Peace. Tootie, welcome to the Ultra Habits podcast. I, I check out lots of different articles. That's where we find a lot of our, um, you know, our guests for the show. And one caught my eye, the, the one on work ethic. And I think it's quite topical. We at Ultra Habits um, are really into extreme ownership and mm-hmm. accountability. Um, you know, we believe that the solution starts with us, not the, you know, other people. And it's about what can we bring to the situation in terms of value. And I think work ethic is a really important topic. And funnily enough, no one ever really talks about. And I guess when you think about work ethic, historically, people will kind of just say, well, you know, you either have it or you don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. What's your view on that? Like, does everyone have the capacity for it? Or are some people just lazy and some people driven? You know, if you're uh, if you're in this business, this ultra habits building business, I think that I think you and I are aligned on this, which is it's it's capacity. Everybody has the capacity to do this. I believe all of these skills are practiced. Some seem to come easier to to some people than than others. Now, I've been doing a related to work ethic. I've been doing a lot of research recently around leadership in Asian American women, and they're there's a cultural component to this. You know, there's a hardworking, get it done, grind, do it component that I think culturally happens in, in a lot of Asian cultures, especially ones I've seen with who've immigrated to, to the United States, which is my, my group. So I think that work ethic, yes, some of it is really gleaned, culturally nurtured, and there's practices, habits, things that you can develop. It's, it's a muscle like anything else. I'm Indian, grew up in the US. Two days ago, I was on the call with two Indian women. We were talking about kind of the immigrants mindset. This one woman in particular, we were joking about her son. So 
she's in India and she's always had that, like, you've got to figure it out. There's a billion people here. Everyone's educated. Everyone's got master's degrees. Like you got to just, you got to figure it out. Right. And she goes like, my son is now in the Silicon Valley and like, he'll get a text or a call from his boss at like five. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not taking the call. Or like, it's, you know, like, like he's, a, he's, it's almost like the audacity of the guy to ring me at yeah. five. And she's like freaking out. She's like, cause she's got a completely different mindset. Like she's yeah. like, the boss calls at five. So where does work ethic end and work-life balance start? I'm a designer by training. And the very annoying designer answer to most questions is it, it depends. Yeah. It, always is. And here's the factors that it depends on. And we're talking professionally, work ethic professionally. Depends where you are in your in your career and what you want to be doing in your in your entire life context. Yeah. Things that I've seen a lot just through through trends of, you know, research and leadership coaching is that often after graduating university, something like that, People can be really, really hungry and want to do a lot of things, have the energy to be unconstrained from the limitations of academia. I'm like, now I'm working a paycheck. I want to do this. When I've seen a lot of that, that hunger, which especially in Silicon Valley gets expressed with a lot of people founding companies, work-life balance may not matter then. If you're a co-founder or CEO, you're, you're kind of committed to this, especially like pre-seed for, for a couple of years. So that is a certain mentality and mindset that you're in where, yeah, if you're that boss, back to your autonomy part, or even if you're a, an employee, you may want to be doing all that picking up at, at 5 p.m. and doing more. It's completely different. And, you know, this is a correlation to age. It's not a, you know, it's a, not a strict rule, but it's different if you have other things of importance in your life. Mm. Maybe you're undergoing a health crisis. Maybe you're training for a marathon. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have elderly parents. It depends where your professional life fits into the context of, of your entire life and how much energy you want to put into developing work ethic. I tell the younger people that I, I come across, whether I uh, lead them or mentor them, that at some point in your career, you're going to have to go above and beyond for an extended period of time. If you are career orientated where other people may stop that's where your opportunity is mm-hmm. right so don't moan and bitch about it like get on with it like i think and the reality is like i i can be unreasonable as a leader but i feel like i match that with a lot of involvement in terms of giving back i know what i'm asking for is a lot but i'm very conscious about that and i make an effort as a leader to match that with a level of commitment to that person as a person, mm-hmm. uh, but also as, uh, you know, the development of, of, of their skills, um, which I, which I think is important for, um, for leaders. So, you know, we talk about willpower. So a lot on this show, um, we, we talk about like, how do you engage and how do you build your willpower do you feel that there's a connection between willpower and work ethic? I'd say there might be a connection between self-discipline and work ethic. And, you know, self-discipline may be the same thing as, as willpower, but I would define self-discipline as the process of understanding how we work, including knowing our own work rhythms and where we can, where we can push ourselves and also knowing about 
our, our energy. Because if you track your energy throughout the day, I think all of us have different periods of peak energy. Some people are morning people, some people are night owls. And it's, I think it's pretty easy to gather the data by tracking your energetic peaks and troughs throughout a period of time. And part of self-discipline, and I'm calling it self-discipline rather than willpower, is understanding this about yourself and optimizing the tasks and work that you have to do to match mm. your periods of peak or low energy. Mm. For example, I'm, I'm a writer in addition to coaching and teaching. There's very specific periods where I write really, really well. It's typically in the morning or it's after, um, I'm a surfer as well, after I surf, after I exercise mm. in a particular way, there is a, you know, there is an upwelling of like being outside and creative energy. Um, and then my, uh, email admin follow-up tasks, I'll typically put them in at a four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And different Mm. people work differently. I know people who are the most creative at 10 p.m. at night as well. So Mm. I wouldn't necessarily call it willpower because there's something there that is very much like, just put your mind to Mm. it and you will be able to make it happen. I believe more in tools and Mm. tricks and techniques to optimize what works best for, for you which is why I call yeah. that angle more self-discipline as a way to, to develop what works for you as your work ethic. Problem with willpower, it's not sustainable, right? And, and there's no kind of systems to, to create consistency with that. Yeah. It, now, would you say, <clears throat> talking about that, because I also believe in rhythms and I believe that all, a lot of people operate by different rhythms. Like I worked in an organization where people thought it was weird that I might nap. <laughs> Right. Like I would nap maybe at like 11. I had to because I was up super early or I might go for a run for 20 minutes. But I'm like, well, you're smoking cigarettes three times a day. Do you find certain organizations kind of recognize that and or are better at that? I know, you know, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of innovation and kind of maybe different ways of working that aren't necessarily across the globe yet. Like, what have you seen in regards to that? Most of my background has been in technology companies and startups in right. either the Bay Area or up and down California, up in Seattle um, as well. And for technology companies, there is a fierce adherence to autonomy and doing whatever it takes to get your work done. That mindset, that zeitgeist falls in line with the things that you're describing very, very well. Mm. I think... There's another interesting corollary to your question, though, which I thought you were going a different way, which is, you know, we've been talking about, you said that there's going to be periods in your life where you're going to have to, if if you are career focused, there's going to be parts where you might have to sprint for a really long time. What I find is interesting is I think working in large corporations, namely Facebook and some other large ones, I think there's natural rhythms built into the the calendar year and seasons of, wow. of a company that simply happen because mm. it's impossible to be in full out extended mm. sprint at all mm. time. Um, I used to work in in like in brand agencies building out high concepts. So a peak time was always CES, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show, which is always right after the holidays. So. Uh, our our firm always knew that, yeah, we're going to be working in the holidays and there's going to be sprints around that. But there was an understanding that the rest of January was going to be chill. Um, you can see this a lot in the U.S. with certain e- e-commerce companies around Black Friday, around um, 
the holiday shopping. You can see it around certain um, manufactured events, if you will, mm. like high profile um, company announcements and things like that. And there's always a push up to mm. it and there's a little release afterwards. So I think these rhythms just mm. happen naturally because we're human and companies are made of humans. I cut my teeth as a, a professional salesperson, right? And I operated what I would call in sprints as well. Like I'd go right. hard for a period of time to build a pipeline. And then because you can't sustain a certain level of energy all the time. Now, on the back of that, I, I wanted to ask you, and I, had, I was going to ask you earlier, but I forgot the question. Now it's come to mind just based on what we were talking about. When it comes to work ethic, is it easier for people, like if we're making the assumption that everyone has the capacity for it, mm -hmm. is it easier for people that find, like what's the connection between work ethic and like passion or purpose? I go back to energy. Like if you are really excited about something with passion and purpose, I don't believe it feels as hard to spend your time mm -hmm. devoting, devoted to it. Really think about um, what I call the flow state. You, we've all had it, just that period where you're doing something and you're so immersed in it that hours fly by. And typically it's much more maker work. You know, it's like hands-on coding, writing, composing music, whatever it is. I think there's a correlation between that and passion. And I've also seen it with people that you might not be making something, but you might be interacting, generating ideas with a particular group of people that gets into the same type of flow state as well. So I believe that there's something that sounds and feels hard about work ethic. Like it's going to take some work. It's going to I mean, yeah, work hard at it. And I think that when there's something like passion and purpose, there's an ease and a flow to it that almost makes the work ethic question irrelevant because of course we're going to be doing it. And that's right. When times get hard, you can maintain the course right because you understand what you're doing it for mm -hmm. the bigger why yeah yeah the bigger why you see the end and you're more associated with i suppose the, the larger and bigger picture mm -hmm. now we're talking about work ethic so what are like what are some of the qualities of a good work ethic one of the things i wanted to share too because you're saying that this wasn't a topic that you had heard a lot about yeah. i think something that was really interesting is um Harvard Business Review actually approached me and said, hey, will you write, a, will you write an article on this? Because it's wow. one of their top SEO terms. Wow. So people wanted to hear a lot about work ethic. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Who would have thought that this is something people wanted to learn about? But so the question you're asking about this qualities of good and poor work ethic, people are like, what is this? What is this mysterious thing? Because I know I want it. It seems really good, but I'm not quite sure what, what it is. So I want to provide that as a little bit of context and, you know, and what I it's share remarkable. about, what yeah. I share about the four qualities that exemplify kind of standard good work ethic is re reliability and dependability. It's this consistency over time, being able to meet deadlines, act appropriately, have particular behaviors and to do it regularly over time. That's what builds trust. Mm. A second quality is productivity, being able to complete the tasks and deliver high quality results. A third is the sense as you were talking about for, for, for your watchers of ownership and autonomy. Really think like an owner, being able to exercise initiative, 
but also show that, well, you can also take direction from others, learn and improve in that sense of autonomy. And then finally, it's, uh, it's the collaboration. We hardly any of us work solo as lone rangers. It's you got to be able to look beyond your individual role and establish positive working relationships with other people, mm-hmm. support responsibilities of your team and act as a, as a team player. So those are the four mm-hmm. that, that I found through the research is really mm-hmm. being, okay, kind of universally discussed mm-hmm. and agreed upon as qualities of, of a good work ethic. Um, yeah. So yeah. Into the opposite or it's kind uh, of let, let, let's, un- let's unpack this okay. though, right? I've found historically that the most dedicated people, there's areas in their life where like through work, they get a sense of stability, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm looking at high performers, but with that, there comes a massive insecurity in other areas, sometimes even trauma, right? Like there's this, there's this kind of perfectionism that drives them, but it's a double-edged sword. And I look at people that I've, I've managed that are like super comfortable in life and like everything is all good. They probably got a little bit more confidence than everyone that, you know, like they're not as insecure and they kind of, you know, they miss a deadline here. They, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a big thing. It just looking at these qualities of reliability, dependability, productivity, like a lot, autonomy, ownership, mm-hmm. like a lot of this is people that hold themselves to a high regard. And, and, you know, they pursue excellence. Now, with that, like I said, like I, I've, I've found historically, and this is obviously subjective, that not, all, not always is this drive coming from a healthy place, yeah. right? In just, and you may have not done the research, but just speaking on opinion here, like what's, in your view, the connection between, let's say, work ethic and... Um, and 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 maybe someone that has a bit of trauma or someone that is looking to fulfill themselves maybe with not in a way through work and it may not be coming from the most healthy place like do yeah. you find there's a connection there so i might talk about something different cuz like work mm-hmm. ethic we're talking about certain qualities that everyone habits things that people can can try on, especially if you're, they're transitioning into their first job to find ways yeah. to prove themselves to be a little bit more um, reliable, to learn that when they're transitioning from a university setting or from a school, a different school setting, well, these are the things that are expected of a, of a corporate job. I think what you're talking about, and which I completely agree exists, is almost a sense of workaholism, which it's universally celebrated in corporate America, definitely in American culture, I'll go as far as to say it, it can be an addiction just as anything else, except it's a very universally accepted as a good addiction. It's not, it's not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's not gambling. It's not, you know, things that are more commonly perceived as bad addictions. but I believe there's the same patterns and trends, which is you work hard, you get reward, it feels good, you do more of it. You know, I've I have to say when I've been dealing with with grief, when my father passed or when when my marriage fell apart, my managers have been able to say, why don't you take some time off? And I've been guilty of saying, well, actually I'd rather, I'd rather work. 
I'd rather work because that level of doing something that I know that I'm good at Mm. is a little bit numbing. It's a Mm. way to be like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go design. I'm going to go do Mm. a strategy document because then it's, it's a way to mitigate some of the grief. So I completely relate to some of the things that, that you've been saying. And, you know, I work with many, many high achievers who are aware of this as a, as a sometimes an issue because there's times when it is an issue in your life. And there's other times when it's not going back to the instance we talked about, there's periods of your life where you are going to do this and you're committed to this and you've set up the structures for this. So yeah, a little bit of a maybe distinction between workaholism and developing habits of a work ethic. But Mm. I agree with you that there's definitely some, there can be negative correlations. Hey folks, a quick break to thank you for joining us on the third year of Ultra Habits. A hell of a ride. Thank you for coming. Now, one of the things about having all these amazing conversations day in, day out, is I feel like I talk a lot, but I'm not always doing as much as I'd like to. I'm just not sharpening my sword the way that I'm used to. So I decided to put myself back under the heat. I will be embarking on a new crucible as I attempt a Guinness Book World Record feat. And more to be revealed on that later. But I want to document the journey, real, raw, uncut, uncurated, with a real, real focus on the habits that I'm going to be implementing on a daily basis to sustain me on this crazy journey. If you haven't already, subscribe to the newsletter. It's all there. It'll be www.ultrahabits.co that's www.ultrahabits.co come along the ride let's do this together and again this is subjective like the greatest people that i've led have you know really struggled from day to day there's you know you're talking bipolar you're talking about the level of creativity the the focus the the need to do good work um is is almost like um, it, it's tied up with their sense of well-being, which could be problematic. It is problematic, um, and you know you, you may deal. Uh, you know, I would deal with the fallout of that. So it was just something that I, a thought that passed my mind as we were talking. I take it one step further because I I work with a lot of startup co-founders, and that's even trickier because work is not just tied up with well-being. Work is your identity. When your company, your startup is something you have made and that becomes really challenging to separate. Yeah, I actually just um, finished a piece of work with a couple founders. And unfortunately, whilst the business has a lot of potential, one of the co-founders has is a lot of superpowers there, but there's a lot of negativity because of insecurity and imposter syndrome and because of the fact and we've had this conversation and i I, you know i I put the mirror up that he feels he is one in the same with the company when you say the company's name in his mind it is synonymous with his name yep and he will do anything to protect the view he has of himself and shield his insecurities, but it's kind of a grenade in his environment. Like yeah. because he was operating that way, and because there's this such a tight connection to the success of the company, yeah. 
He's got his arms around it so tight. He can't let the help come in because it's, he's made it about himself. Now I've seen that a lot. I think it's pretty common for almost every startup founder, especially if it's a solo founder to feel that in, in the early parts of their, their journey, especially I'd say what, 10 people, 20 people like that size. And, you know, cause I work with a lot of people through seed series A, C, series B. I think there's a point when you're, um, and again, I'm using Silicon Valley, perhaps venture terms more, but when you get this series A funding, it's, you've already proven par- product market fit and you're about to hit this hockey stick growth. I think that's the particular period of time where there does need to be a little more separation of identity because this is the part where your role is changing. You've got to learn to delegate. You've got to learn to build up more of an executive team and it's not simply mm-hmm. you. And I think mm-hmm. that is one of the really critical chasms for, um, for startup founders. Yeah, it's uncanny because we were, we were going into Series A and we were waiting for the funds and there was a lot of stress and I was there to implement a go-to-market strategy, like really execute. Um, because one of the frustrating things I find with founders and you know, this is kind of moving away, but related to work ethic is I'm an execution guy. I, I was a head in the clouds guy, but I think the way I was mentored uh, by people was they they forced me to get better at execution. And I value execution probably more now. And I think I get really frustrated with too much airy fairy, right? Like, too many, like we, you know, and I think that's what I was there to do. Yep. And it was a challenging experience because we had individuals that wanted to keep their heads in the cloud. And I was like, well, we got to get on with it. We got to develop product, you know, roadmap and, and X, Y, Z. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. And I, you know, just talking about this, like I've, I'm kind of in a transition period. I've exited a firm and I've been thinking like, do I continue to try to work with founders in terms of helping them with the go to market? Mm-hmm. And was this an isolated event or is this kind of a problem that I'm going to come up against where they say we want, need to grow. And then when I get in there to drive accountability, you know, and, and, and do things, it becomes maybe a little bit challenging. Like, what's your view? Like if we go down the startup route, like what's your experience been like when you're trying to work with founders? So I don't think that that particular um, use case that you described, I haven't seen that consistently because it depends on, it depends on so many factors. It depends on if it's a solo founder. It depends on if it's a team. You know, typically if it's a team, like co-founders, I've had worked with, you know, pairs of co-founders or sometimes like a trio. I, I haven't found the thing that you're describing to be consistent because it's so different depending on the yeah. personalities coming in. The thing that I have more found to be consistent is this need to separate identity and to have a willingness to reassess roles and responsibilities of the CEO of each of the founding team and an openness to approach that, that, that looking and viewing of roles the sa- with the same flexibility and sense of experimentation as you would with, with your product or service. And that I think is a mindset shift that can be really hard, but often not because you're already doing it for a successful startup. Um, founders, especially multiple time founders with knowing you've got to experiment and iterate. So 
you got to do that with your role as well. And most of the work I do is facilitating the conversations with with co-founders and board persuasion that this is changing. This is how it's changing with delegation. So that particular use case you were talking about, I haven't, I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't seen it consistently as a trend. Is is the, the, the startups start to accumulate more investment? They would also, there'd be also pressure from the investors as well. Like if they identified that there was a lack of skill set within the the founder base too, right? So you've got some of that playing out too. I found venture firms just have different philosophies. Yeah. Some are much more, here's the money. Yeah, Others right. are much more heavily invested and supportive. Um, but there generally is trust. Well, it was a bit of a digression, but an interesting digression. Like, and, you know, that's what we not expect like, that. But it was yeah, fun. yeah, we it, it you know what it is. I think it's relevant for me, and I always like to have conversations that are relevant and and you know topical. As, as we start to land the plane, Tootie, first of all, I wanted to thank you for the conversation. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to learn that it, he's you know the HBR said that it was one of the uh, the most kind of looked up topics. Yet there wasn't really a lot of information. Say that I want to improve and get better. You know, we talk about ha- habits on the show, like. I want to start to habituate some things that could move me towards a better work ethic. What could I do? I think there's two parts that can be really interesting to think about that I've seen consistently over time. One is a question of prioritization, right? We always have too much to do and you're never going to finish that damn to-do list. I think it's just a state of acceptance to get to that. So two things. One, um, I think it's important going into a week to have a sense of, all right, what is my stack rank? Most important thing. One, one most important thing. Aim for one. Maybe that'll spill over into two or three, but not 10. Aim for the one most important thing. And then also be aware that, hey, you know, we live in an ever-evolving world. So fire drills happen, things change, and just keep revisiting that each day. Reprioritize each day. You know, you can do the same thing daily and then on, the, on a weekly basis. Um, and it's, it is an exercise. It's a little bit of an exercise in, in self-discipline. Yeah. It's hard to say no to things, but, and, you know, I, I have shiny object syndrome just as much as everyone else. <laughs> I want to do this and this and this. There's a lot of passions. And when you say yes to everything, you're kind of also saying no to anything. So it's that prioritization that I think really helps that, that work ethic to get to what's most important done. So that's one of them. And I had another one, but we can pause. I wanted to pause for a minute. You know, for me, starting to really understand the essentials, mm-hmm. because I think, you know, and a lot of the the audience, a lot of people that would watch Ultra Habits would have a big engine, like they can do a lot, right? Like that old adage, you want to, you know, get something done, give it to a busy person. But the reality is through this kind of fragmented, splintered focus, like what's the cost of that? Yep. And we think we tend to think there isn't, but there is. Particularly as I get older, I notice it too. With kids, I've got, I don't know, I don't own my own time anymore. So like, I don't have that level Very of flexibility, familiar. right? So you kind of have to become even more ruthless. Yep. And I think when you do that, like when you're very clear on your true north and then what activities are supporting that, it you're just calmer through the day. You ring fence things. A lot of the noise of the world kind of dissipates. And yeah, that was a fundamental shift for me. So I completely agree with with what you just said there, Tootie. Yeah. And I think the corollary of that is you're never going to finish your to-do list. So 
<laughs> let go of that desire of perfection. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a totally tough one. And I have trouble with it every day. Yeah. The second one that I have that I think is a very crucial one for, for work ethics is understand what, what benefits the team and the company and not just what benefits you. Of course, we're all very human and we all have are single-minded in the, this is what I need to get done because this is going to get me success in that project, this promotion. It's going to get me that, that sale, that new business. But really, I think the offset of that is, all right, what is the motivation behind this? Is it solely to benefit me or how is this also in the best interest of my greater company and, and yeah. team? And I find that that is always the source of friction, conflict, dealing with difficult people, relationship issues. It's like really looking and taking that, that nuanced eye of to, to develop a really good work ethic, strong work ethic, hold the team interests higher than your own. Well, that, look at that, 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 I think that was a brilliant way to close today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm going to have to talk to you later because I think there's other topics that we can dive into. There's, there's a lot that we can, we, we can talk about. I mean, we can talk about habits of founders and, um, you know, in Australia, we've got a, a founders program here that a friend of mine started, which has been pretty successful. You know, they, they monitor heart rates and mm. sleep and, you know, that whole piece around just trying to keep founders shit together basically right <laughs> they, they yep. try to do what they're doing but for our audience that want to find you and, and learn more about you where do they go yeah you can go to my website which is tutitagerly.com um t-u-t-t-i-t-a-y-g-e-r-l-y and i'm pretty easy to find on all the social networks most active on linkedin and instagram all right thank you so much for your time Tootie. absolutely this was a ton of fun thank, thank you, you. 